Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. Well, good morning. Great to see you. Uh, we're going to be going into our time of teaching in just a couple of minutes. Well, my name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. If this is your very first time, we want to welcome you here to Rocky Peak. We hope you have a great time uh, with us today. Um, but a couple of things I do want to bring you up to speed in. One is that uh, hopefully you received an email from me on Friday uh, just with some year-end things, uh, some, some information about this assignment, this uh, campus uh, project that we're doing. Uh, also gave you some information about the encounter that's coming up this Wednesday. And so I want to highlight that this Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, uh, we're not doing life groups this, this week. We're going to all gather here as a church really to seek God, a time of uh, uh, prayer, of uh, worship, vision casting. Uh, I'll be giving you some more information about this project, the assignment uh, for this coming uh, year, and, the, and especially in the spring. And so uh, that night we'll be uh, meeting here. We'll, be, uh, uh, we'll have uh, child care for, for children at 10 and under. Uh, if you have kids in middle school, they can go to wildlife here on campus like normal. If you uh, have high schoolers, high schoolers, you can come and join us. Uh, and so we're just going to have a great, a great time. One of the things we, we do at this particular encounter is we take about 10 minutes just to quickly vote on our 2013 um, budget and slate of elders. And so um, I gave you all the information in the letter this week. If you didn't uh, receive that in your email for some reason, uh, outside uh, in the, in the, uh, our patio is a, our information center called the, uh, the Point. And you can go out there and pick up a hard copy. And after the service today, if you would like to, if you have any specific questions about the budget or the elders or anything like that, uh, you can head over to the, the Kids Center in room 101, which is downstairs closest to us. And uh, there's some, uh, I believe some elders and uh, our director of finance here can answer any questions so that you'll be prepared for that uh, when, when time comes on uh, Wednesday. And so um, that's, uh, that's Encounter. I uh, also want to give you a quick uh, financial uh, update. We don't talk a lot about here at Finances here in the weekends. Uh, that we, we just kind of prefer to just kind of focus in on the Word. But from time to time, I want to give you an update. And this is a great update that once a year, as I shared in the letter, that we ended this year in the black financially. And so it's a great, great praise. And I um, just want to thank you. I think, you know, one of the things as we come to Jesus, what, one of the hardest lessons really is to learn how to surrender our finances to Him and then kind of give generously as He leads us. And I just love how we're learning that as a church. And so for those of you who made this year possible, that you gave generously, you gave sacrificially, uh, I just want to thank you as your pastor because, because of you, uh, because together we're listening to God, we're, we're, we're growing in that area. Uh, our, our church is growing, it's thriving, lives are being changed. And so I um, just want to thank you, just say well done, and it's a great uh, celebration for that. So we're going to be going into our time of teaching right now. Uh, inside your program is a message note sheet, and for those of you who are brand new, you'll want to definitely pull that out and help you follow along. And then uh, if you guys are all set, I'm going to uh, pray, and we're going to start. You guys ready to go? Okay, let's pray. God, we're just so thankful for what you're doing uh, in our lives, and we're so thankful for who you are and that there's a time and place where you broke in to time and space to rescue us from the powers of darkness. And as we talk today about this whole topic of spiritual warfare and what does it look like for us as Christ followers to follow you and to fight well and to win this battle, we pray that you'd come in just a very powerful and uh, spiritual, uh, supernatural way. You'd open our eyes to the reality of this warfare that we're in every day, and especially those times in our life that are critical times, wilderness times, where our, our temptation is to give up or to give in. Uh, that we would stand strong and we would win that battle. And because of that, uh, those days would determine our destiny. And we pray this in your name. Amen. 
Well, as we start today, uh, there's a couple stories I, I want to start with there on your note sheet. You see a section called Scenes from Previous Episodes. And what I want to do is go back into the story of Israel, this long-running drama that we've been talking about, and, and kind of highlight two stories that sort of prepare us for what we're going to see today in the life of Jesus. So story number one uh, comes from about 1,450 years uh, before the, the, the birth of Jesus. Uh, the nation of Israel has just come out of Egypt. They've been traveling for three months. They arrive at Mount Sinai. Uh, there God shows up in this amazing display of power, and he reveals himself, and he invites them to be his nation. He, he puts an offer on the table, uh, I will be your God, you will be my people. And he offers to enter into a formal relationship with them, much like a marriage, we call it a covenant. And, and so they say, yes, we want in. And so they, they enter into covenant with God. And then God calls Moses as their leader up on top of the mountains. So they're out in the wilderness. He calls them up on this mountain. And for the next 40 days, uh, he will fast. He will pray. Uh, God is going to meet him there in a powerful way and give him what we call the law or the, the Torah, the Torah, the instruction uh, for uh, Israel uh, to lead them into their future. And so it's a very important time of preparation for where the nation was going in their future, these 40 days in the wilderness for Moses, all right? Now, we're going to fast forward. Story number two, we're going to fast forward about 600 years. It's now about the year 850, so about 850 years before Jesus, 850 BC. And uh, the nation, for the last 600 years, by and large, has broken that marriage covenant with God. They, they have been a nation living in rebellion. They've run after other gods. They, they've uh, kind of been, lived a life of oppression of the poor and so on. And at this particular time in their history, they have one of the worst uh, sets of king and queen on the throne ever. Uh, their names are uh, King Ahab and King Jezebel. And so God begins a new movement in their history. He, he raises up kind of the first of a long line of prophets, and this prophet's name is Elijah. And so uh, for the, the last three and a half years, Elijah has been hiding in the wilderness from King Ahab and Jezebel because they're out to kill him. There's a warrant out for his arrest. So he's been hiding, but, but now God calls him to come out and go public. And he, he calls the whole nation, calls the king, and he calls the nation to Mount Carmel for a spiritual showdown between, uh, between Yahweh, God of Israel, and Baal, the God of the Canaanites, which the Israelites were worshiping in that time. And so, so the king comes, the nation comes, the prophets of Baal, there's hundreds of them uh, come, and they have this spiritual showdown, like a duel, like a spiritual duel. And at the end of the day, uh, God, uh, uh, Elijah calls down fire from heaven uh, on the sacrifice that he's built there, uh, and it consumes it, and so he wins the showdown. And so uh, at that point, there's kind of a, a brief moment of spiritual revival as the, the nation grabs these, these in, in the heat of the moment, they, they grab these prophets of Baal, they slaughter them. The only problem is, is that the next day or that day later that day, uh, Queen Jezebel, who's not been there, uh, and, and she, she hears about this, and she, she makes, takes this oath that I, I, I'm going to kill this guy. I swear I'm going to kill this guy. So now he's on the run. Elijah's on the run again, and he's just, he's just worn out. He's, he's been three and a half years hiding in the wilderness uh, uh, on the run. The nation is apostate. They've rejected Yahweh. Uh, he knows this is not going to last, this whole Baal you know, the thing. I mean, they're going to go back to, to Baal. He knows that. And so he's running for his life, and so he's exhausted. He's in the wilderness. Uh, he lays down. He just says, God, I'm done. I, I just want to die. He just lays down, goes to sleep, ready to die. And uh, God says, you're not done yet. And he sends an angel to him, revives him, feeds him, 
And uh, he says, I, I, I've got a journey for you to go on. And so he sends him on a 40-day journey in the wilderness back to where the story all began, back to Mount Sinai. And so now you have the first prophet being said to go back to where the story began, to where the first law was given, the Torah was given. And, and so he there at Mount Sinai, God meets with him and says, I'm not done with this nation. I'm going to use this nation. Um, it, all hope is not lost. And he recommissions him to, to go back and, and to take the nation, lead the nation, the next stage of their history. So, so two men, two wildernesses, two 40 days, Two critical moments in their, in, their, in, their, in their history. And today, again, like two streams from the past, these stories of the law and the prophets are going to merge together at, in, in a new stream, in a new wilderness, in a new leader, the ultimate leader who's come to lead the nation out of their ultimate wilderness. Well, today... We are continuing this series that we've been in the last few weeks. And for those of you who are brand new, a uh, special welcome. It's a great time to be joining us because we're studying the, the life of, and teaching of Jesus. And we're, we're, we're calling this series King Jesus, and it's a study of the very first document that we have in human history uh, of the life and story of Jesus. It was written only about 35 years uh, after the life and death of Christ, while there's eyewitnesses galore still abounding. And uh, it's written by a, a man named Mark, who was uh, one of the leaders of the early movement of Jesus. He was a close friend and associate of the apostle Peter, and he wrote his, uh, his story of Jesus based on the firsthand uh, story uh, of the apostle Peter. He writes it in the city of Rome, which is the center of the Roman Empire, to kind of uh, help disciple new Christ followers, and this is what it looks like to follow Jesus, and, and to share the message of Christ with those who've never met him. And so for the last three or four weeks, we've been in what we call the introduction to Mark. Several of you know this, that in the, in the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John, we call it the prologue. It's the intro to John. Well, the first 13 verses of Mark are like the intro to Mark. And what's happening is in this intro, uh, Mark is taking us back to three key events in the life of Israel and the life of Jesus uh, before he goes public to prepare us, almost like a preface to the story. It's almost like a narrator at a beginning of a play comes out and says, let me tell you what's happening here and set the stage before we start the story of Jesus going public. And so a couple weeks ago, we looked at the first story. The first story was the, the coming of this voice. Remember that? This, this prophet that was predicted in the Old Testament, that before Yahweh came to the nation, before the kingdom of God came, that he would send a special messenger to prepare his way. And we, we met that man. His name was John the Baptist. He's calling the nation to prepare for the coming of Yahweh, for the kingdom of God. And the way they do that is through surrendering their lives, coming under God's leadership. We call it repentance. And, and this is how we build a super highway in our life for Yahweh to come to our lives, is by coming under his leadership. Then last week, we saw the second key story, where Jesus comes on the scene for the first time. He comes to the River Jordan. There he's baptized. As he comes out of the water in this epic event, heavens are open. Uh, the Spirit of God is anointed. Uh, uh, the Father anoints him with the Spirit to equip him for his ministry, and he identifies him. This is my son, which is a way of saying this is the Messiah. And, and so Jesus then launches, is ready to launch his movement, 
which is all about uh, the baptism of the Spirit, that entering this whole new era of human history where God will pour out his Spirit on all of his followers. And so that when we come to Jesus and become part of his kingdom, we receive the gift of his Holy Spirit who comes to lead us and guide us and transform us and teach us how to follow him. Well, today we come to the third story. And honestly, this is a story that if you've never read this story before, um, I think it would take you by surprise. I know for me, if I were writing the script, I would not write it this way. Uh, you know, we've got, the, we've got the messenger that's come, right? He's prepared the nation. We've got the, the hero of the story comes, anointed by the spirit and power. So if I'm writing the story, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to say the next thing that happens is that Jesus is unleashed on the nation, that he's going to go to the, the heart of the capital. He's going to go to the, the, the capital of, this, of, the, of the nation, to Jerusalem, and he's begin to share about the kingdom of God that's been so long promised by the prophets. Or he's going to go back to where he grew up in the north in Galilee. He's going to share this message. It's this way, like, what are you waiting for? You, you've received the Holy Spirit. We've been waiting all this time. You're 30 years old. You're good to go. Uh, let's, let's get on with it, right? Let's, but that's not what happens. Last week, we talked in our lives about the importance of learning to listen and follow the leading of the Spirit and how Jesus models that. And so counterintuitively to what you expect, what the Spirit leads Jesus to do is not to go public, but to go out into the wilderness For 40 days, like Moses, preparing for the nation, like Elijah, preparing to lead the nation back to God, Elijah, and and to 40 days where he's going to have a time of personal retreat with God, uh, but also it's a time of intense spiritual warfare where he is going to go one-on-one with the leader of the dark side, Uh, we call him Satan or the devil, Uh, And he's going to do major spiritual warfare as a final step of preparation so that he's ready to go out and unleash the kingdom and set other people free from the dark side. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to uh, Mark chapter (coughs) 1. And we're going to pick it up at verse 9 at the baptism of Jesus and then kind of quickly move on. So Mark chapter 1 and and verse uh, 9 says, At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee in the north. He was baptized by John in the Jordan. And as he's coming up out of the water, he sees this heaven torn open, this epic event. The Spirit descends on him like a dove to to anoint him, for to equip him for his ministry. And the voice, God speaks from heaven, you are my son, which was a messianic title. You are my son whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. And so God identifies this is the Messiah. Uh, he equips him for service, commissions him. And, and at once, this is the surprise, the Spirit sends him out into the desert. Now, it's really interesting because in, in the Greek here, the language, remember I talked about this, how one of the reasons I love the Gospel of Mark is the language is so raw, it's so visceral. And in the Greek, when it says that he sent him out, this, this sounds like he got a text, right? It, it's more like a whip. You know, it's more like, it's, it, in the Greek, the word is the word ekbalo. Uh, uh, balo means to cast or to throw. Ek means out. And, and so literally you'd say the spirit threw him out into the wilderness. That it, it's a very, in fact, this is the word that's going to be used all through the gospel of Mark when Jesus casts a demon out of someone. And so the Spirit just forcefully drives him uh, into the wilderness. This really needed to happen. And so 
He was in the desert 40 days, just like Elijah, just like Moses, and he's being tempted by Satan. And I want you to catch that, uh, being tempted, it's present tense. Um, uh, in both Matthew and Luke, they describe this temptation. But as you read Matthew and Luke, you find out Jesus was fasting and praying during this time, and they describe what I would call the final assault, right? So in other words, like, uh, have you ever seen like the, uh, fireworks on 4th of July? And, and you know how you all, you wait for the grand finale, right? They got all the fireworks going, and then there's, at the end, it just goes crazy. Well, this, I think what Matthew and, and Luke are really describing in the three final temptations of Jesus is the grand finale. It, it was the final rush of uh, demonic forces against Jesus to bring him down. But what Mark helps us to understand is that the whole 40 days were a time of spiritual warfare, that he was being tempted for these 40 days. And what we see in Matthew and Luke is just this final assault. And so it says he was, he was uh, being tempted by Satan. And then Mark adds this interesting detail that he was with the wild animals. And scholars are really not sure why Mark adds this, because Matthew and Luke both take it out. But uh, uh, the interesting thing is we know Mark was writing about 65 AD. He was writing in Rome to Roman Christians who were under severe persecution under Roman emperor named Nero, who uh, actually crucified the apostle Peter upside down. And at this point in their history, uh, he was persecuting Christians. The first time a Roman, uh, a Roman emperor was persecuting in a large way. And, and the way he was, do, he, was, he was doing things like he was throwing uh, Christians to the wild beasts in the, in the Colosseum. He was, uh, he was strapping uh, uh, Christians with like, uh, he would wrap them up in animal skins and then release them, the wild dogs on them in the Colosseum so they would chase them for, for sport. And, and so uh, imagine you're a Christian in Rome learning what it looks like to follow Jesus and you, and you hear about Jesus going and being with the wild beasts. It would have tremendous significance and that's one theory. But whether that's right or not, uh, I think what Mark is doing is he's painting this very uh, hostile environment that Jesus, uh, the Spirit is, drives Jesus out by himself uh, into the wilderness uh, for 40 days, and he's out there. It's a very dangerous environment. There are, there are wild animals out there, and so it's almost a picture of this fallen, evil world that Jesus has come to, to rescue. And so it says he's with the wild beasts. And, uh, and angels attended him. And so here's the good news is that though he was out there by himself, he was not really by himself because the Father was with him, the Spirit had sent him there, and the angels were with him as well. And so, uh, so, so this is a story we have of the temptation of Jesus in Mark. And so uh, it's a very short story. It's a very short version. Mark usually lengthens a version. Uh, here he shortens it. But it's a very important uh, story because what, what Mark is letting us know right here in the introduction is that this story that we are about to embark on, this journey that we're about to take, it, it's an epic story. It's a story about a clash of kingdoms. It's a, it's a story about a son who's anointed to be the true Messiah, the king of Israel, who's entering into enemy territory to take it down. That this story that we're about to enter into, uh, a, a kind of big backdrop, it's a story of cosmic conflict, uh, of a king coming to rescue a fallen kingdom that's, that's come, kind of come under the power of a dark lord. Does this, this make sense? It's very, it's very Lord of the Rings, very Mordor. 
Dumbledore-like uh, type thing. Right? So, so Mark is painting this picture, this backdrop, and we're going to see this in Mark, that one of the major themes in the Gospel of Mark is the, the conflict between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. In fact, the very first miracle that we're going to see, which happened about uh, in nine weeks, no, that's kidding, but um, <laughs> the, the, the very first miracle that we're going to see is that Jesus is going to cast a demon out of a man in the middle of a church service. And it's going to be very dramatic. And so this is going to be a big, big time theme. And so Mark's setting it up for this drama. The messenger comes, the hero comes, anointed by the Spirit. Uh, but before he can go and unleash his kingdom, he has to go one-on-one with, uh, with, with kind of the prince of the power of darkness and defeat him in his own life before he's able to go out and release captives. Okay? And so that's, that's a big picture. Now, so what, what this does is it introduces for us today this topic of spiritual warfare. And, and, uh, and so this, this topic is one that, honestly, you could do a whole series on this. Uh, when I first came to Rocky Peak, about a year in, I think it was, I did a series on spiritual warfare. It's a four-week series. We'll probably do another one at some point. Uh, you could do it four weeks. You could do it eight weeks. It's a big topic. And so we're obviously not going to cover everything on spiritual warfare today. I'm sure we'll touch on it again throughout this series. But, but what I want to do is introduce kind of two big-picture principles that are really important for us to understand uh, the gospel of Mark, the life and the, and the life and ministry of Jesus, who Jesus was, uh, why he came, and what it means for us today to follow Jesus. All right? So there in your note sheet, you have a section called Spiritual Warfare, uh, The Battle Begins. And that's exactly what's going on. The, the, the ministry's launched, Jesus is launching, and, and this is the first major battle that he's, it's not his last, it's his first, first he's going to go into with the enemy. So here we go, number one. Uh, the first thing that just uh, jumps out at you uh, from this is that spiritual warfare uh, is very real. That, that as followers of Jesus, we need to understand this, that spiritual warfare uh, is very real. Now, th- th- this is sort of a challenge. We, we live in the midst of a culture today that when it comes to the unseen realm is very schizophrenic. Um, that, in other words, that, that most of us, you know, we, we've grown up in this culture that for much of our lives, uh, especially if you're uh, uh, older, if you're like 20, you, you haven't seen this as much. You've seen, you still, you're still very strong, but, but if you go back further, we've grown up in the midst of a culture that's very scientific, that's highly rationalistic, and, and that's extremely skeptical of anything unseen or supernatural. And so if you, if you went through uh, college 30, 40 years ago, you, you totally understand what I'm, I'm, I'm getting. I was just very skeptical. If you can't measure it, if you can't see it, if you can't taste it, you can't touch it, you can't reduplicate it in a laboratory, if you can't prove it uh, scientifically, it's not real. It's, 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 a, it's a myth of, of ancient times that we, we're now sophisticated. We know that life is not like that. But what you've seen is there's a backlash against this because of our spiritual nature, uh, nature that the image of God is in us. There's a hunger for spirituality. It's what you've seen the last 20 or 30 years is a tremendous resurgence in interest in the unseen realm. And so you see it in astrology. You see it in the rise of the occult. You, you see it in uh, new age phenomena. You see it uh, in the interest in, in seances, uh, channeling, uh, levitation, spirit guides, crystals, uh, channeling energy. And I could go 
on and on and on. And so we live in the midst of a culture that's very schizophrenic. Then the one hand is super scientific and skeptical. The other side is just opening ourselves up at, a, at new levels, uh, increasing all the time to the unseen realm, uh, which is usually seen in a neutral way, this unseen kind of an energy force of the universe. And what's happening is the more we are opening ourselves up as a culture and even as inviting in uh, th these things that, that you're going to see, we're seeing increasingly, and you will see increasingly, increasingly manifestations of the demonic in our culture, just like in other cultures that are very open to spirit guides and, and, and uh, inviting uh, the dark side in. Now, as Christ followers in the Bible, the Bible is very clear that this spiritual world is very real and that as Christ followers, we have nothing to do with the dark side. And so some of you are still reading your astrology, you're reading your horoscope every day. Can I tell you, that is like a worse thing you could be doing. You're opening yourself up to the dark side, right? You're, you're giving entrance. Uh, you should not be uh, having crystals in your car. You should, you should not be uh, attending seances. You don't, shouldn't go to a palm reader for your future. That anything like this is incredibly dangerous because it's very real. The thing is, is that uh, the, the, uh, you know, the kind of rise of Wicca, all this stuff, is, what, what's happening is that it's, a, it's an invasion of the dark side under a false pretense that it's just kind of a neutral power out there that we're opening ourselves up to the energy of the universe. Well, it's not the energy of the universe, it's the energy of the dark side. And the Bible is very clear, like don't mess with that because you open yourself up, you gave Satan a, a kind of an avenue in your life. And so if you are involved in that, you need to renounce that, you need to leave that because you're, 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 you're giving channels and freeways, highways into your heart uh, from the dark side. So what we see then in, in the, the, the life and teaching of Jesus is that uh, that this, this uh, spiritual world is very real, the spiritual warfare is very real. And so what happens is that when a man or woman comes to Jesus, that you actually cross an invisible line in the spiritual realm. You actually transfer kingdoms. So the way the Apostle Paul will put it in Colossians, he says that we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. So the moment that a, a man or woman comes to Jesus, several things happen. We receive forgiveness of sins uh, we, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We are released from the dark side. We cross over an invisible light into the kingdom of light. And there's a new freedom from the dark side in our life. But also, something else happens. We pick up a new enemy. The moment we step over that line, we have, we have switched sides in this spiritual war that's been going on from the beginning of time, since the very earliest days of human history. And, and so what happens is that we have suddenly become a threat to the dark side. And, and this is the thing, like, like we often are afraid of the dark side, like we're afraid of Satan. What, what you don't understand is that Satan is afraid of us. That, that when you come to Jesus and the Spirit of God comes in you, you become a threat to the dark side because Christ is in you. And we're told in James that the, the demons believe and they shudder, right? So, so you become, uh, become an enemy combatant of the dark side. And as an enemy combatant, what's going to happen is Satan is going to do everything he can to derail you or to decommission you, uh, or to, uh, to get you out of service. He's going to do anything because you are a threat. 
And so when we come to this realm of spiritual warfare in the body of Christ, there's kind of two equal and opposite errors that we want to avoid. The first error is to overestimate the power of the dark side. Uh, in some Christian circles, we give way too much uh, credit and power to, to Satan. Uh, Satan's not like an equal of God. He's a created being. And so uh, very powerful, brilliant, yes, has tremendous, uh, uh, tremendous uh, resources. We'll talk about that in a minute. But, but, uh, but we often give too much credit because catch this, that we live in a complicated situation where, first of all, uh, as a follower of Jesus, you still have your own personal dark side, don't you? You have your flesh. And so that, with its natural pull towards, the, towards, towards it, uh, wrong things. Uh, you, you, that we also live in the midst of a fallen world and then bad things happen. And so not every bad thing that happens to you, not every temptation that happens to you is from Satan. I want you to catch this. If there were no Satan, you would still struggle with sin because of your, what the Bible calls your flesh. Does that make sense? And so in some circles, what you get going is like there's a demon behind every bush. Every time you have an accident, it's like, oh, Satan's out to get me. Uh, and, and every time you struggle with an area, oh, I discern a spirit of lust. You have a spirit of anger. You have a spirit of bitterness. Now, I want to be clear that there are spirits of anger and lust. And I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is that they're not near as responsible for us as, as we often. And so, and so we, we get ourselves into trouble. We give them too much credit. So that's the one mistake, to overestimate their power. But the, the, the equal and opposite mistake is to underestimate their power. And we need to understand the Bible, the Bible uh, uh, draws a picture of a very complex uh, and uh, kind of uh, hierarchical uh, system of dark side, where Satan is the leader of this kingdom. There are princes, there are principalities, there are rulers, there are uh, uh, authorities in the high places. And in Ephesians, it says our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the powers. And so you have to understand that, that behind the scenes, there is a, there's a kingdom of darkness that's organized. Uh, it's very bright. Uh, it's been studying human beings since day one. Uh, demons never die. And so they, they know you. They know your history. They know your ancestors. Uh, they are, they, and, and their whole point is to destroy you. Right? That this is their, and so if we're ignorant of this, we just set ourselves up. Like That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we, we are not ignorant of Satan and his schemes. Okay, so as Christ was, we want to walk in that middle ground where we're not blaming everything on Satan, and yet we're embracing the reality of this, and, and we're being wise. In fact, it's interesting because in uh, the Apostle John, who, remember, was one of the inner three, uh, Peter, James, and John, uh, he wrote a letter at the end of our New Testament, and there in your note sheet, he says something very powerful. He says, uh, the reason the Son of God appeared Let's catch again. The reason the Son of God appeared was what? Yeah, to destroy the devil. So there's a, lot of, there's a lot of ways to describe why Satan came, or why Jesus came, rather. Well, there's a lot of different ways. Just like we can describe a Christian in several different ways, there's a lot of reasons to say, well, this is why Jesus came. But one of the major answers the New Testament uh, describes all the way through is Jesus came to destroy that devils work, that he came to break into the kingdom of darkness, to take out the prince of the power of the air, and to release captives 
okay? And so this is a, this is a very strong scriptural theme all the way through. So as we, as we, start, this, uh, as we start this message, and this is where we start, that, that spiritual warfare, it's very real, and it's important we understand it. Now, this, uh, this, the second point is, that, is it kind of based on Jesus' life. Uh, that, that before Jesus then could come and release the human race and begin to release captives from the dark side, uh, he had to go one-on-one with Satan himself and win that battle in his own life. And that's sort of a model for us. So the second principle is a little bit more complicated, but just hang in there because I, I'm going I'm to give it to you. I'm going to illustrate it through the life of Jesus. And then once I do that, I think you'll be able to see, okay, I get it how for my life. Here we go. Uh, if we want to win the war in public... If you want to win the war in public, you want to experience God's plan for your life and your public life, your family, your friends, your ministry, your workplace, and so on, we first have to win the war in private. Okay, if you want to win the war in public, you first have to win the war in private. Now, let, me, let me kind of flush this, this out a little bit. When we started today, I mentioned that if I were writing the life of Jesus, I would do it differently, which is why I'm not writing the life of Jesus. Uh, I just, if, if this is a movie, then the moment he hits the Jordan, he comes up, the spirit comes down, he's anointed, the voice comes, I'm like, it's go time. Let's go. Let's release the kingdom. Let's go north, let's go south, let's go to the capital, let's go to Galilee, let's do something. Like, what I would not vote for is to do nothing, right? But what happens is the Spirit knows that before Jesus can set other captives free, he has to go to war and win one-on-one in his own life. And do you realize this? For you to be a force for the kingdom of God, you've got to first win the war in your own, in your own heart. You see? Like, like, we have to win the war in private before we can win the war in public. So what's the Spirit do? The Spirit sends him out into the wilderness. He's going to be there for 40 days for a time of intense spiritual warfare. And, and, and it's, I love how the way that Luke tells the story, because Luke says at the end, after these three final temptations, uh, that Jesus had stood up to Satan. He'd won. I want you to see what Luke says. It's there in your note sheet. It says, uh, in Luke 4, it says, when the Spirit, when the devil had finished all his tempting at the end of the 40 days, um, he left him until a, and a what, what, what do you call it? Okay, this is very important. Circle that. Circle that. There are moments in your life when you are vulnerable. Not every day is created the same. We're going to come back to this later. And Satan attacked Jesus in the wilderness, because it was the start of his ministry, he's alone, he doesn't have his friends, it's an opportune time. But when Jesus stands up to him, remember it says in James chapter 4, all these verses I'm referring to are there if you want to check it out later, in James 4, remember it says, resist this devil and he will flee from you. Jesus resisted the devil. It was a long resistance. Sometimes we think it's just like, in the name of Jesus, be gone. He's like, woo! No, no, I'm running off. No, uh, no, no, Jesus is a model for this. It's 40 days of resistance. But once Satan sees you're serious, he's like, I'm wasting my time here. I'm going to leave for a more opportune time. And so Jesus takes his stand, 
He wins the battle, okay? If this was a cage, cage fight, he just, you know, the other guy, Satan just tapped out. Boom, I'm done. Okay, I'll come back, try it again next year, but I am out. Okay, so, so Jesus wins, right? Now look what happens next. So Jesus returned to Galilee in the what? The power of the Spirit. Do you see what's happened? He's anointed with this. He's baptized. He's anointed with the Spirit. He goes into the cage fight with Satan. Satan, he wins that fight. Satan taps out, and now Jesus comes out victorious. And now he's able to come out and start setting other people free. You see? Now, I want you to catch this. If he, Jesus had lost that fight, we would not be here today. Right? If, if Satan had won this round, we would not be here today. That Jesus won, and because of that, uh, he was able to go out and begin releasing others. And this is what I'm saying in our lives. What I'm saying is God has a plan for your life. That when God called you to follow Jesus and he caused you to be born again and you woke up spiritually and you gave your life to Christ and hopefully you were baptized. If you're not, you can do that next week. But uh, if hopefully you were baptized uh, like Jesus. And so you're, you're obedient like Jesus. You followed in the footsteps of Jesus. Because you're a Christ follower, so you follow Jesus. Uh, anyway, so... so you came to Jesus, you get baptized like Jesus, you receive the gift of his spirit to empower you, and now God has a plan for your kingdom life. He, he's got a plan for you to go out and take kingdom territory. He's got a plan for you to take back your family. He's got a plan for you to influence your friends. He's got a plan to unleash a ministry. He's got a plan for your career. He's got a plan to transform you that will transform others. He has a kingdom agenda for you just like Jesus. It's why Jesus will say later, later seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Seek first. How about, okay, so, so God's got a plan for you. And here's what I'm saying. That kingdom reality that God has designed for you to experience in public, your family, your friends, your career, your finances, go on and on. You can never experience that kingdom reality in public until you learn to do battle and win the war with Satan in private. Now, other people can encourage us. Other people can pray for us. But in the final analysis, it's you going into the wilderness with the Spirit of God and the angels of God and doing battle with the powers of darkness and winning that. No one else can win that for you. They can stand with you, they can encourage you, they can pray for you, but in the final analysis, you have to decide, right? And until we win the war in private, we can never win the war in public. And many times in our life, we can't understand why kingdom power and reality is not being released in our marriage, in our families, in our parenting, in our ministry, in our business. We can't understand that. And the reason is, is every time the Spirit leads us into a wilderness to do warfare, we give up or we give in. And we don't come out in the power of the Spirit. Does this make sense? Okay. So before we, we go on and talk more about this principle, I want to do a quick little sidebar on Jesus and his temptation in the wilderness. This is something that 
Matthew, uh, that Mark doesn't really go into details. Matthew and Luke gives us some more. Um, but I want to point out something. Both Matthew and, and Luke tell us that at the end of 40 days, Satan comes with his final charge. It's his final storm the gates, these three final temptations. And, and he comes with lies. And this is what I want you to catch, is that at the heart of spiritual warfare, and, and like what I'm about to say the next two or three minutes, like if you catch nothing else from today, I want you to catch this, is that at the heart of spiritual warfare is almost always a battle between truth and lie. And it's what it's about. Often when we think of spiritual warfare, we think of something bizarre, we think of something outlandish, we think of something super obviously supernatural, and that, that happens. You know, we, we have people here at Rocky Peak that will contact us and say, my three-year-old daughter keeps, uh, uh, keeps, is afraid to go in her room because she keeps on seeing a red man that comes in her room at nights and it's scaring her. And, and it's not her imagination. Like, it, it's, it's a spirit. It's, it's a demonic spirit. Like, that, like that happens. And, and so uh, that, that spirit needs to be ekbalod, cast out of that situation. Uh, we will have people here at... Rocky Peak, they've suffered for years. They're, they're Christ followers. They've suffered for years. They're voices in their head that are not their own that are telling them to hurt themselves or hurt others, telling them that they're worthless. Last night I talked to a young woman after the service like this, baptized her last year, but she struggled with this for years. Intense voices, uh, they're self-destructive or destructive other in, in her head, and that, that happens, and that needs to be dealt with. Uh, sometimes there'll be the people here at Rocky Peak that are Christ followers, and something when they come into worship, it's like they get brain fog, and they just confusion, like they can't enter into worship. There's some sort of uh, demonic presence that happens, okay? Now, I want to say these things are very real. Uh, in other cultures, they're extremely common. In all our culture, they're becoming more and more common. And so what I'm saying is that, yes, those things happen, and when those things happen, we need to deal with those things, and we need to do battle with the powers of darkness and bring freedom, absolutely, okay? But what I want you to catch is 99% of the time, the spiritual warfare in your life will not be like that. 99% of the time, spiritual warfare is a battle between lie and truth. And what happens is that Jesus said that he caught one of his names for Satan. This is in John 8. Again, all these are on your, your note sheet. John, uh, Jesus said that, Jesus, Jesus said that uh, his name, he, he called Satan the father of lies. And he said that when he lies, he speaks from his native language, like at his core. And, and so most of the spiritual warfare that you're going to go through in your life is about lie. Now, can I tell you what the lie is? Break it down. Let's break it down. Let's break down every lie the enemy is going to tell you in terms of temptation. Let's talk specifically about temptation. Not, a, not every lie, but every sp- about temptation. If you were to dissect every lie about tem- every temptation, what you would find at the core of every lie is this. If you trust me and follow this, you will be happy. At the, at the core of every temptation, there is a promise. If you, if you do this, you'll be happier and more fulfilled. Life will be better. If you sleep with your girlfriend, if you lie on your resume, if you 
uh, uh, hold on to your finances and don't submit them to Jesus, if you, you hold on to that bitterness and, you, and, and don't let that person get away with it, if you do this, you will be happier. That's, it's a core of every lie Satan will tell you. And what you need to understand is that Satan is a brilliant liar. Like, he's not a liar that tells you a lie. You go, oh, you're lying. I can see that. Well, I saw that one coming a mile away. You're like, oh, you can't get me. I'm too bright. No, no. no, no. He's brilliant. He, he will give you, he will back up the dump truck and give you 98% truth and insert 2% lie. And that 2% is like the hook that gets inserted in the bait that the fish bites. Nothing wrong with the bait. The bait is delicious. If you're a fisherman, 98% of what you're throwing in the water is good. It's the hook. It's the 2%. And and so, so if this is Satan's number one tactic is deception, guess what our number one weapon is? Truth. And so what does Jesus say? He's praying for his disciples. The night he's arrested, John 17. He knows he's leaving them. He won't be there to personally protect them from the evil one. And so he goes to his father and he says, God, would you, would you protect my men? Protect them with the truth. And then he says this, your word is truth. So, so what we have in this book It's not a religious book. It's a description of spiritual reality. Truth. It's the one book that will tell you the truth about yourself and about life and about God and about the dark side and about how life is. This is the truth. And so this is why as Christ's followers, we need to be immersed in the truth because we're being lied to all day, every day, right? And so what does Jesus do when these three temptations come in his life? What does he do? He doesn't argue. He doesn't debate. If you know the story, with every temptation, he goes right back to the word, specifically to the book of Deuteronomy. And with each temptation, he says, that's a lie. This is the truth. And that's how we fight. Now, let's move on. So so he said that the principle is you have to win the battle in private before you can win it in public. And what I want to, to call your attention to is this, this concept of this um, opportune time. What we see is that, uh, that in our lives, uh, true of Jesus, true of us, that there are certain times we're more vulnerable than other times. There are certain times where God is going to allow us to go into a wilderness of our, to- of our life. It's going to be a, a time of vulnerability. The wilderness is a time of vulnerability. And so it, it may be it's a wilderness of hard times. There's two kinds of wildernesses. Wilderness of hard times. You're going through a time of pain, suffering, discouragement, despair, or doubt. That's a wilderness. Sometimes the wilderness is a wilderness of temptation. Okay? But whether it's a wilderness of temptation or a wilderness of hard times, either way, it's a vulnerable time. And it's at these times that Satan will come with attack. And his, his temptation will always be to do one of two things. It's either to give up 
or to give in. Okay, that's what happens. Give up or give in. Now, here's what I want you to catch. It's what we do in these times of wilderness that determine our destiny. Okay? So in the spiritual life, not all days are created equal. Every day we go through spiritual battle. Every, think of it like a skirmish. Right? Every day, every day, there's going to be small temptations. Every day, there's going to be uh, decisions that need to be made, choices that need to be made, uh, things that need to be resisted, deaths that need to be died. Uh, we're in a spiritual war. You, you don't get any days off. Like, like right now, I'm doing this health thing called Body for Life. So you need to lose some weight. Yeah, yeah, right. right. Oh, there you go. Yeah, you're like, yeah, you needed it. No. Uh, and uh, we've been praying for you, God. Thank you. Uh, you're getting too big. No. Um, but, uh, but and in this, this you know, eating program, which is kind of a nutritional eating program, and, and you get a day off. It's called a free day. It is so awesome. Like, like Friday is my free day because it's my day off here. So, and so, like, I just, you know, it's such a bummer because I just had my free day like two days ago. I've got to wait five more days. But, but in the spiritual life, there are no free days. There, there are no days where Satan goes like, you know, I've been working you so hard, and gosh, you know, like that's not even fair. Uh, I'm going to pull back, and just here's the day off. Like, there are no free days. But what I, what I want you to catch is that not all days are created equal, that, that there are some days that are like war days. They're not skirmish days. They are like full uh, frontal assault days. Where, where the kingdom of darkness is assaulting the fortress of your life, trying to break in. And it's what we do on those days when we're in the wilderness, like Jesus, at this opportune time, that, that, we, that either make us or break us spiritually and determine what happens in public, you see. Uh, back on October 20th of this year, um, Lynn and I were out at one of our favorite Thai restaurants Saturday night, it was right after the service. Let me take you back there. Uh, if you were here on October 20th or, or that weekend, we were in the midst of our series called The Assignment. And, and that was the weekend that we were coming before God and making our financial commitments. That We've been praying about this, seeking God to refurbish and expand our campus. And we've been praying about this preparing. And so this was D-Day. This was the day we're going to come and make our commitments. And, and so if you remember that weekend during that message, I was just kind of pouring out my heart different times at different at, at all three services, but just saying, hey, this is the day. Like, like this is our Haggai moment. Uh, th- this is the day that will determine our future as a church. Well, this is a day we find out, are we serious about following Jesus or is it just lip service? Are we serious about reaching lost people or are we not? This is our day. And as you can kind of picture this, I was very impassioned and just pouring out my, my heart. It was very, it was just a, a, it, was a, a, it was a moment. It was for a moment of, of us church as we, we went before God. And so anyway, that night after the service, uh, Lynn and I went to our favorite uh, Thai restaurant up there at Simi Mall, and uh, we're having dinner. In the middle of dinner, uh, there's a, a, a friend of ours from Rocky Peak that someone I know that uh, had came over. I didn't see. She was there with her family uh, on the far side of the restaurant, and I hadn't seen her when, when we came in. Um, and so uh, she came over in the, in the middle of our dinner, and she said, Mike, I just want to just tell you just, you know, how powerful that whole service was, and just God met me in just a very powerful way. 
I said, well, can, can you share that with me? Can you like, what, what happened? And she said, well, and she took me on this journey, and she said, you know, four years ago, my marriage was, in, was a wreck. It was, a, it was in trouble. Our family was in trouble, and I was just tired of the pain, and so I, I was just, oh, I knew what God said, but I, I just wanted it out, and so I was going to leave our, our marriage, and, and so I'd, I'd made the decision. I was going to get a divorce, and she said, and the, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and he said, this is not a time to run. This is a time of warfare. And, and he said, you need to fight for your marriage. You need to fight for your family. Amen. And what God put in her heart to do was for the next 30 days, he's very specific with her, was to, was to prayer walk her house every day, to, to walk around her house for 30 days and to pray and, and to pray for God's breakthrough and to claim his protection and healing. And so she's sharing this. She said, Mike, I, I can't even tell you what God has done in, in our lives. He's, he's healed our marriage. He's restored our family. I, I'm leading a life group now. He promised me that if I would take my stand, that he would use my story as a testimony someday. And now I'm going to share with several women in my group the, the things they're going through in, in their marriage. And then she said, and here, so here's what happened. She said, tonight, in the midst of the service, when you were saying, this is the day, this is the day that determines our destiny, this is the day that decides our future, she said, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit took me back and reminded me it was on this day, October 20th, four years ago, to the day that he told me to take my stand, that this was a spiritual war. Yeah, amen, amen. And she said, as, she said, and as he brought that to mind, the tears just began streaming down my face, and I began to weep, thinking what God has done in, in our lives. And she said, and I'm not even the crier. My husband is the crier. <laughs> Men and women, it's what we do in private. It's the wars we fight in private that determine our future in public. And as you're here today, maybe your battle isn't with marriage. Maybe you're single and you want so badly to be married. And the temptation for you is to give up on God and give in to the dark side and begin to date people that you know God wouldn't want you to date. Maybe for you, it's, it's not an issue of marriage or, or dating. Maybe it's a financial issue of surrendering your heart to God. Maybe it's a forgiveness issue. Maybe it's a drug abuse issue, issue or an, an, a substance abuse, alcohol issue. Maybe it's a career dream. Maybe it's a, an attitude. Maybe it's a habitual area of sin that you've just been playing fast and loose with. Maybe it's a sexual morality thing. It's a sexual period. I, I don't know what your thing is. But here's what I know is that the decisions you make in private will determine your future in public. And here's the good news. And I want you to catch this. The good news is that Jesus didn't lose. Amen. Right? He fought that battle. 
He won that battle, and he won every opportune battle between then and the cross, and the cross was the ultimate assault of the powers of darkness on Jesus to destroy him. And even there, he didn't give up, and he didn't give in. He stood his ground. He submitted to his Father. And because of that, we're told in Colossians that at the cross, the powers of darkness were disarmed. And because of that, Jesus was able to rise from the dead. And because of that, Jesus has the authority to forgive your sins and release you from the powers of darkness. And because of that, Jesus has the authority to pour his spirit, the same spirit that was on him, in you. And because of the cross, that he who is uh, uh, in the world is, is less than the he who is inside of us. And see, because of the cross of Jesus, the powers of darkness have been vanquished, and when he comes returned, they will be forever destroyed. Because of that, you have the power in Christ. You are weak, but he is strong. <laughs> you see, spiritual warfare is not about you. You against Satan is a wipeout. Christ in you against Satan is a victory. And so because of him, we now can be turned into powers for the, dark, for the light side. And because of him, we can leave our wilderness and come out in the power of spirit, not just to survive, but to become a legitimate threat against the kingdom of darkness. We are no longer victims. We are victors. We are taking ground. We are conquering kingdoms. We are taking people in for the king of kings because that is our commission. That's what it means to be a Christ follower. It is not to be a loser. It is to be a winner in the power of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we are so thankful for Jesus. And we are so thankful for our king and our mighty warrior who has battled on our behalf, who when we were uh, dead in our transgressions and sin, didn't even know we needed you, didn't even realize we were servants of Satan himself, that you came in and you broke us free. You opened our eyes. You caused us to be, come alive, to be born again. And because of that, Lord, we received your spirit. We've got the forgiveness of sins. We've transferred kingdoms. We are alive in Christ. Christ is in us. We are no longer victims. We are victors. And so, God, we pray that you would release this power in our lives in a new way. I pray for any brothers or sisters here that are experiencing tremendous spiritual attack right now. I, I pray for any that, that might even be, in some ways, just kind of demonic oppression in their, their life. It's the voices. It's the brain fog. It's the, 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 vo the, the, the voices in their head to hurt themselves or others. It's, it's uh, their, their house seems to have spiritual beings in it. What, whatever it is, we just pray for uh, you to release to a place of freedom and that they would find freedom in you. And so, Lord, we, we come today and we submit ourselves. We realize that when we're outside of your authority, when we're living in disobedience, we open ourselves up to the dark side, that we put ourselves in a place of great danger. And so, Lord, we want to close down any avenues. We want to repent of any sin in our life that we've been holding on to. We want to surrender to the leadership of your spirit. We want to go with you into the wilderness. We, we want to take our stand and come out in the power of the spirit. And so, Lord, we pray that today that we would experience you as the great deliverer. As you said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
that have come to release captives. We pray that that would be true in our lives. As we bring you our offerings today, God, we pray that you use them to create a liberation center here at Rocky Peak, that lives will be liberated for the kingdom of God and that people will be empowered to fight for behalf of the king and the kingdom of light. Father, we pray that today you'd speak deeply in our hearts. You'd speak those words of scripture that we would take heart, that you have overcome. And that we would remember that though we are weak, you are strong. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Last night we were singing that song and um, I didn't know we were going to do that tag at the end. My, the, my, the, uh, the spirit's strong. I may be we, weak. My flesh may fail. But it brought to mind what the Apostle Paul said about his life, the Christian life. He said, you know, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. That's the secret right there. So the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God, one who's strong who loved me, gave himself for me. Men and women, this battle is not our own. In Ephesians 6, it says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his power. It's not about you against the enemy. It's about Jesus in you against the enemy. That you may be weak, but he is strong and he is, he is overcome. Amen? Amen. Hey, a couple things uh, as we close. Uh, I often forget to mention this, but at the end of the service, we always have a ministry that's uh, called the Prayer Quarter. It's the back of the auditorium on my left and your right. And uh, if you ever need prayer for anything after a service, I encourage you to go back there. This would be a great day to go back for prayer. I, I would encourage you, if you are experiencing any strong demonic oppression in your life, the, the voices, you're seeing things, like. Sometimes we can be so isolated because we think that we're the only one and everyone will think we're crazy. And so we live with that for years. Can I tell you, it, you're not crazy and it's not uncommon. We deal with it here fairly often. And so uh, if you need help with that, be sure to go on back, talk with them. They'll, they'll hook us all up and we'll, we'll figure out a plan to kind of give some freedom uh, and bring Christ in that situation uh, and, and bring deliverance. Um, Next weekend, we're going to continue this journey. Jesus is going to break out. He's going public, right? We're, well, four weeks in, we haven't really seen him go public yet. He's, he's going public next weekend with his message. The kingdom that the prophets have promised is breaking into time and space. That you can enter into it through a relationship with the true king by repenting and believing. And we watch him as he goes out and begins to recruit his first followers and become a model for us of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And we're going to watch them come to Jesus, leave their old life behind. And we're going to learn what does it need, if we want to travel with Jesus, if we want to journey with Jesus, what needs to happen in our life. And so uh, we're going to be doing that. We're also at the end of the service. We're going to have uh, a few people being baptized. Uh, and so they're going to be following Jesus in the waters of baptism. If you haven't been baptized and you would like to be, there's still time to get in on that. In your program, on the back, it tells you who to contact. We'll get you information. And then we'll... we'll, uh, we'll, we'll uh, uh, you can join Jesus in, in the waters of baptism and follow him as our model in that. And so until then, uh, may the Lord be with you this week. May you be strong in his power and the power of his might. Uh, may you know that the one who is in Christ is in you. 
that greater is he who is in you than he is in the world, that you may be weak, but he is strong. May you repent of anything that's giving uh, freedom to the dark side to infiltrate your life and to keep you from living the public life, the kingdom life that he's designed for you. May this be a week where you know his deep love in a, in a new and powerful way, how crazy he is about you, uh, how, how much he's passionate about you, and the life he has as we come under his leadership and truly trust him that the, 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 the enemy is a liar, that the, his, his plan for your happiness is not true, but there is one who cares deeply for your long-term happiness and that he loves you so much he died to make that a reality. May you experience his presence and power in your life this week as you surrender to his lordship, his kingship, and your life as we become followers as a, ch as a church of King Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. See you next weekend. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.